0: This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. It's become commonplace among critics, particularly critics of a certain age, to dismiss the current batch of popular movies as terminally lightweight. Has Hollywood permanently lost the plot, we ask, or indeed the famous six or seven plots that were the basis of the industry since it started calling itself the industry? The major studios certainly seem to have lost faith in simply telling a story. A movie clearly needs something a little extra. I have increased strength and speed and some form of bat radar. What else can I do? And that little extra is generally magical hocus-pocus in one way or the other. Comic book heroes who've gained magic powers and now wear the cape to prove it. Magical science fiction that allows people to whiz around the universe, or indeed the multiverse, in the blink of an eye. All right, they do occasionally make movies the way they used to. Did you see or hear anything? I did not trust her. I still don't. What did you do last night? You accused me of murder. He accuses everyone of murder. It is a problem, I admit. But when they do, they have to underline the fact. Great big wobbly war horses like Death on the Nile aren't even simple copies now. They're copies of copies, disguising the fact by spending considerably more money than the original dreamed of. You see, we have been running in the wrong direction, you and I. We know almost all there is to know, except that what we know seems, seems incredible. It's incredible. Outrageous. As I say, it's easy to think that the movies in the 21st century have either forgotten what a two-hour movie is, or can't remember how to make them. But maybe we're not looking in the right places. It's significant that some of the best films of the past few years aren't coming from Hollywood or even England now. They're coming from Mexico, Scandinavia, Korean films like Parasite and Japanese films like Drive My Car. And they're not just festival art films either. This week saw two films that Hitchcock, John Ford, Spielberg and Francis Ford Coppola would have been proud to have put their name to. Actually, I don't know why I thought that only Hollywood knew how to make big, gripping entertainments. The Korean film *Escape from Mogadishu* certainly tipped its hat to *Black Hawk Down*, *Assault on Precinct 13*, and *A Bridge Too Far*. But it also contains dollops of Kurosawa classics like Seven Samurai*. We, point to And the predecessors of a modern master, Iranian filmmaker Asghar Fahadi, were just as much classic French movies as Hollywood favourites. His new film, A Hero, is Fahadi at his best. Still, some English studios maintain their faith in old-fashioned moving pictures. And you don't get much more old-fashioned than Downton Abbey. Seven years after the TV series ended, the second feature film arrives. Hello, Mr Mollsley. Why are you here? You know I love anything to do with films. Well, I know you enjoy a trip to the pictures. Uh, It's more than that. For me, Hollywood is the ultimate dream factory. And I need dreams as much as the next man. The new Downton Abbey movie is rather misleadingly subtitled A New Era. And at the end, there's a scene in which the entire Crawley family, the toffs who own the titular stately home, slowly drive past the entire staff. There are now so many of both groups that it seems to take forever. It's a beautiful place. How happy you must be. Oh, my goodness. Who is she? The Lady Grantham I first went to work for. Granny. Why did you invite us here? This underlines the downside of Downton, or possibly the best thing, depending on your point of view. Creator Julian Fellows can't bear to kill anyone off. Generally, once anyone arrives at Downton, they're there for good. And we open on a wedding between old lag Tom, the former chauffeur, and Lucy, the former lady's maid. (laughs) Recently, I was mainly there for Lucy, played as she is by my favourite actress, or at least actress with my favourite name, Tuppence Middleton. If you remember the last film, both Tom and Lucy had long outgrown their humble origins and had been gifted their own stately home. Happy ending, surely! But by now, most of the extensive cast of Downton Abbey had achieved their happy endings, either at the end of the interminable TV series or at the conclusion of the feature film follow-up. So what could possibly happen in a second film? Well, let's find out, shall we? Have you told them, Lady Grantham? She's told us nothing. Do sit down. I've come into possession of a villa in the south of France. What villa? (laughs) Start at the beginning. Lady Violet, Maggie Smith's scene-stealing dowager, suddenly springs a secret on the rest of the family. It seems she has a shady past, or does she, with a French marquis, or is he? And on his demise, she inherits another stately home, this time in the south of France, or, well, no, that definitely happens. Years ago, before you were born, I met a man... They spend a few days together and he gives her a house. You never thought to turn it down? Do I look as if I'd turned down a villa in the south of France? Goodness me. So many questions, so many possible plot twists, you'd think. But long suffering fans of Downton will remember that it's always promising something will happen. But promising and actually delivering are two different things. There is something about it, like a wild animal ready to spring. Ready to spring on you, you mean? Ah! Sorry. The modern world comes to Downton. Anyway, just as half the Downton Brigade are packing to take off to the French Riviera, where the widow of the late Marquis is threatening to take everyone to court, the Abbey itself is about to receive a visit. It seems there's a plan to shoot a movie there. A telephone call for you, my lord. Mr Barber is a producer and director. He wants to make a film at Downton. A moving picture. At Downton. But the stars, famous one. I think it's a horrible idea. Actresses plastered in makeup and actors just plastered. That's right. Downton goes meta. Not only is there a film within a film, but it's a callback to the movie that started it all. Robert Altman's classic Gosford Park, written by a younger Julian Fellows. As it happens, there was a film in that one too. And Maggie Smith. Mr. Weissman, yep. tell us about the film you're going to make. It's a detective story. Uh, murder in the middle of the night, a lot of guests for the weekend, everyone's a suspect. And who turns out to have done it? Oh, I I couldn't tell you that. It it would spoil it for you. Oh, but none of us is here. Needless to say, this isn't that. This is about show folk arriving at Downton, the staff getting very excited, especially Daisy, the downstairs maid, or whatever she is, and a chance to get in a few affectionate potshots at the movie business. You steer ahead. You're the captain now. They better be warned. The British are coming. Once again, Julian Fallow's famous tin ear for dialogue makes its presence felt. Aside from Carson the Pompous Butler quoting American Paul Revere's line about the Brits, I was equally surprised at Lady Mary's unexpected knowledge of filmmaking terminology. Why do you think he gave you the villa? That is where the mystery resides. Then go off to the Riviera. And with any luck, we'd miss the whole of Mary's frightful film. I do hope that was a prop. But enough quibbling. What happens to Downton when the film starts shooting? Well, it turns out to coincide with the precise moment when sound arrives and the actors get all worried about whether their voices will pass muster. What, you mean like singing in the rain? Exactly like singing in the rain. It doesn't look good for Papa if she felt the need to keep it a secret. There's trouble in paradise. You don't need me to tell you that marriage is a novel full of plot twists along the way. Meanwhile, the producers of Downton Abbey, A New Era, have been rifling through the cast list, looking to see if anyone hasn't had a happy ending yet. They find one of the children, one of the old tenants, and Barrow, the permanently thwarted villainous butler. Here, you three, have some happy endings. With that, I will say goodnight and leave you to discuss my mysterious past. The rest of the film, in the time-honoured Downton Way, is spent promising, startling occurrences and then resolutely not delivering. Lawsuits, divorces, gloomy doctors, film disasters all vanish like a summer mist before the end. Will there be a third Downton Abbey film? I didn't even think there was enough material for a second one and see how wrong I was. Meet the new era, same as the old era, I suppose. It seems the public only want films that talk. I should have thought the best thing about films is that you can't hear them. would be even better if you couldn't see them either. <laughs> Iranian writer-director Asghar Fahadi is one of the leading filmmakers in the world, with two Best Foreign Film Oscars to his name for the brilliant A Separation and the, for me, even better The Salesman. And last year, he picked up the Grand Prix at Cannes for a hero, which belatedly comes out here this week. <laughs> Thakhari is a master storyteller, some say the best currently working in films, and his secret is dishing out information on a need to know basis. We meet Rahim, currently in jail for bankruptcy. He's been allowed out for a weekend. <laughs> Rahim is a nice guy, but easily led. He got into debt when he took out a loan to start a business, and his business partner absconded with the money. Now he owes a lot of money to Bahram, a relative of his estranged wife. But because he's in jail, there's no way he can raise the money to pay off the debt. <laughs> So, who's the bad guy here? That's always the question in a Fahadi movie, and the answer always shifts as the movie progresses. Rahim has a new girlfriend, the speech therapist of his young son who has a bad stammer. And the girlfriend finds an expensive bag with some gold coins in it. <laughs> It's not enough to pay off all the debt, but perhaps Bahram will relent and forgive the rest of what he's owed. But then suddenly Rahim decides to do something unlikely and noble. He'll try and find the owner of the bag and give the coins back. What and this is the start of a long and winding road for Rahim in the pointedly titled A Hero. He gives the money back, and word gets out about his generous gesture. He appears on TV, and various organizations, for their own reasons and purposes, praise his selfless actions. <laughs> The only people less than happy are Bahram, the disgruntled creditor, and his family. If Rahim's a hero, Bahram finds himself cast as the bad guy, the cruel bully, forcing Rahim into jail with no chance of getting out. He's being forced to give away a fortune and watch his family suffer, he says. But as a hero progresses, new things come to light. Not everything Rahim said is quite how it happened and his reputation as a hero takes a knock. And as always, the media are all too happy to choose a new direction for a story. Now Rahim's girlfriend, the one who found the bag originally, is dragged into the potential scandal. Her family accuses her of bringing them into disrepute. It's a mess, in other words, but mostly a mess if you go into it expecting easy, cut-and-dried heroes and villains. And every time we think we know, director Fahadi adds another strand to the plotline. Fahim may not be the hero the media initially wanted, but nor is he the villain they want now. Particularly painful for him is seeing it through the eyes of his son, whose speech impediment indirectly led to the dilemmas they're all facing now. How are you? The impeccable blend of character and story is why Asghar Fahadi is so respected as a filmmaker. There may be no easy answers, but nor does he cop out when it comes to letting us know exactly what happened and why they did it. Everyone had their reasons, he says, which makes the ending of a hero so painfully satisfying. <laughs> When I saw a movie called Escape from Mogadishu advertised this week, my initial reaction was probably the same as yours. Never heard of it, and in my case, do I have to? Well, the answer for me was clearly not the same as most people. I was the only one in the cinema to watch a Korean film about the events covered 20 years ago in Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down, the ferocious civil war in Somalia. Allah! <laughs> the In 1990, the South Korean government was very keen to gain a seat in the United Nations. Well, that meant buttering up every country that had a vote. And the most votes, surprisingly, were in the continent of Africa. Which is why a delegation was visiting the president of Somalia with a bundle of expensive gifts. And suddenly they're hijacked by local gangsters who shoot their tyres and steal the gifts. Well, it turns out they've been hired by a North Korean dirty tricks group to stymie the efforts of their sworn enemies. For over 70 years, the hatred between the two Koreas has been that fierce. But the Koreans are about to get a lesson in civil war hatred when the Somali government is toppled and suddenly the streets are full of terrifying, gun-wielding rebels up against some even more heavily armed government thugs. The North and South Koreans hide in their respective embassies under siege. I, General Aidid of the United Somali Congress, address the embassies of each nation... And for the first half hour, while I could see that Escape from Mogadishu was well enough made by popular Korean director Sung Wan Ryu, I found it hard to take sides. Why should I care which Somalia and which Korea came out on top? Until suddenly it started turning up the tension. The North Korean embassy was in the worst position. Their communications had been cut off, they had no power, very little food and water, and no protection from the marauding gangs in the street. They also had few friends in the Somali capital, Mogadishu. Their one ally, the Chinese embassy, couldn't help. When they were forced to leave the building, men, women, and children, they had nowhere to go until someone suggested the unthinkable to ask for help from the great Satan, South Korea. <laughs> the South Korean embassy was slightly better off. They had some supplies and they'd also done a deal with a local militia gang who were prepared to protect them for a price. Then, in the dark, they heard the call for help from the North Koreans. Better leave, or my brothers will be back for you. Within each embassy, there were two factions the ambassadors, people and their families, and the shady councillors, the secret service whose sole purpose was to stop the other rival Koreans from getting away with anything. Well, both sets of councillors were suspicious. Don't trust them, it's obviously a trick. <laughs> So, escaping from Mogadishu is by no means straightforward. While the two ambassadors try to counter decades of conditioning to work together and keep their councillors from killing each other, the streets start to fill up with homicidal warlords, all determined that nobody's escaping if they can help it. We one of the good things about seeing a film alone in a cinema is you have ample opportunity to join in. I haven't yelled, Look out! Oh, no! And, no, no, turn back! As often as this, since I was ten. And by the end, I felt like a ten-year-old seeing a brilliant action film for the first time. Was this the best film I've seen this year? It was certainly the most suspenseful. this? you a makes a great action film. It's not just the action sequences, best most realistic car chases I've seen for ages by the way, it's the fact that I was always seeing something new. The laughing Somali child soldiers say, or the cars protected by strapped on books and doors. And the fact that the ending, don't look, nobody look, was both heartwarming and heartbreaking in exactly equal measure. and possibly the reason it was so unexpectedly good. Escape from Mogadishu is mostly true. If you want proof that, yes, they do still make them like they used to, and occasionally even better, I heartily recommend this one. A moving picture in every possible sense of the words. And as we make our escape from this show, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.